Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. This morning we will be in John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. So if you will grab your Bibles and open up to that text. If you don't have one, there's one in the pew back in front of you. And we will read that together. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she went running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. And at that, Peter and the other disciple went out, heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then, following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen cloths lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first, then also went in, saw and believed. For they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. But Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting there where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you are seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and she told them what he had said to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Aaliyah. Yeah, I might need your help with this because, you know, I, I think I get it. Merry Christmas. Like, that's kind of fun, right? Merry Christmas. Happy Easter. Just doesn't have it. So I don't know if it's like joyful Easter or awesome Easter. So I need your help with this to try to think about how we can have kind of like the same excitement. Um, Because Easter is awesome. Sorry, Christmas is awesome, but Easter is better. Because here we get to celebrate all that God did. And so this really has a very special and important part um, for Christians and for the church. And so we are really glad to be able to celebrate this together. Um, My son was speaking to one of my two favorite granddaughters uh, this morning. And he said to the oldest one, to Heidi, he said to Heidi, he said, Heidi, do you know why we celebrate today? And Heidi said to her dad, because God raised the deaf. To which Mackenzie responded, so close, (laughs) so close. She just overshot it by two letters. You know what I mean? It's just so close, deaf, thought you had it. But Jeff prayed that God would open our eyes and open our hearts and open our ears. So maybe what Heidi is saying is important 
that yes, God raised the dead, and specifically we're here to celebrate Jesus and all of what that means. But now, for us, this morning, it is our prayer. And um, it is an amazing work that God would raise the deaf, that he would open up our minds and our hearts, our eyes, so that we would be able to see this amazing miracle for what it is, and not just to go, that's great, or that's encouraging, but to say, that changes everything. I love having faith conversations, and and not just with people who believe, right? It's not just Casey and Jim just sitting down and talking and describing what God is doing. I love having conversations with people who don't yet believe, who maybe have heard parts of the story but are still wrestling with what it actually means to believe and then to commit and to follow that through. A number of years ago, Andrew and I spent a couple of weeks in Edmonton, Alberta. It's where I was born. And so it's always been a place that's special. A new church was being planted in Edmonton and I was asked to come and to, to, to speak at a number of different times and it really was a pleasure to be back in my hometown, I guess. There was a young man that I met that I developed a relationship with. His name is Kevin. And so we had a lot of conversations over that two-week period of time. We had met for breakfast and lunch a couple of times and the last time we met, we're having this conversation over breakfast and we're talking, I'm trying to answer his questions. I'm trying to share the good news about Jesus. I'm, I guarantee you we talked about the resurrection. Kevin says to me, you know, I, this all, I mean, I, I, I grew up Catholic. So I've heard a lot of these stories. I responded. So Kevin, I just got to ask you, sometimes if, when you're sharing your faith, it's, it's good to ask them, so what's keeping you from making a decision? And so I asked Kevin that. Kevin, I just want to know, like, what is keeping you right now from making a decision to commit your life completely to Jesus. And he looked at me and he said, you know, the problem is, he didn't quite say it like this, but I'm educated, right? He was very intelligent. And so I've got a lot of, I got a lot of questions. And then he said to me, I do remember this exactly. He said to me, What really is keeping me is I'm afraid of being a sucker. It feels like what you're asking me to do is to step out in faith, which by the way, that's exactly what I was asking. And he just felt more secure, kind of where he was with what he had been taught and what he had thought through in a university classroom. And it seemed like that this this guy from, I don't know, somewhere in the States who says he grew up here, but he doesn't sound like it as much anymore, is now telling me these amazing stories and asking me to, like, step out. Um, and it, he said, it was like, it's like you're asking me to step out onto a cloud, is what he said. And it was like this barrier that was there. I get it. Fast forwarded a number of years. Um, a young man that I had some conversations with, a series of conversations. I remember one of them at, 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 uh, at Mexico Joe's, sitting down at the table 
And I'm asking, I'm sharing him the, the, the gospel and I'm there to answer. What, what, what questions do you have about the Bible or about Jesus or about faith or about your own life? Like what, what questions do you have? And, and it was, I get these a lot. Oh yeah? Well, how do you explain the dinosaurs? <laughs> you know that one? Like that, that's the one that's keeping me. It's the dinosaurs and the, the flood and the, do you really believe like a guy got eaten by a, by a fish? I mean, I, I get it. I, I've had the same questions. Like, I'm Canadian enough to struggle with faith. You know what I mean? Question after question after question. And he heard my explanations, and I could see it in his eyes. Eh, sure. No, I, I get what you're saying. Finally, after a number of these, he said, hey, can we meet in your office? I don't want to be at Panera. I don't want to be at Aspen. I don't want to be at, I, I want to, uh, can we just have a conversation? I, I thought maybe he was ready to make a decision. And then we get to the point. Like I sat in a church and I talked to God and I begged him, if you are there, you will not let her, speaking of his mother, marry him because of who he is and what he's gonna do to me. And if you're there and you can hear me, do something and he did nothing for him, it wasn't dinosaurs or floods or fish-eating people. It was this, this, this weight on his heart and on his mind that became this barrier. It wasn't as much intellectual, although I'm sure that was there too, but, but it was emotional. It was, it, was, it was so real to him. He, he just couldn't come to grips with the issues of faith in light of what had happened to him. That those two did not fit. Fast forwarded a few more years. Um, the Lord, in his kindness and favor, as our boys got older, moved them out of the house. We were, we were saddened, but we were also grateful for that opportunity. And then we decided that if that's what the Lord was going to do, then we were going to find new sons. And so Andrew and I spent a number of years um, having uh, d different young men that had been uh, from other parts of the world that were visiting here in Stillwater, one from Germany, one from Switzerland, one from Mexico, and then one from Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia. Didn't grow up in a Christian home. And we had a lot of conversations. I remember the first time when he moved in, first few days, I said, listen, you do know what I do, right? <laughs> Actually, here's how I should have said it. You do know who I am, right? Like I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and so I said to him, I said, I think we're gonna have a great time together. We really are, but I promise you, like Andrew and I have invited you into our home so that we can share the good news of Jesus Christ so that you might commit your life to him and find eternal life, hope, and peace because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And he went, but you'll be respectful, right? And I said, yeah, that's, that's part of being a Christian too. He said, no, let's do this. I'm like, okay, it's on like Donkey Kong, you know, like I'm ready to do this. And we, we have, we still do to this day, have a great relationship with one another. And so we're having conversations. He's sharing his faith to me and I'm sharing my faith to him. And after we had lived together for about three or four years, one of those moments where I'm ready to ask that kind of question, what is keeping you? But he beat me to the punch. And I'll never forget, he says to me, you do know that I'll never believe. I'll, I'll never believe. Like no matter what you say, 
Like, I'll never believe what you're saying. Now, by the way, it's easy for me to go, what is wrong with you? Why don't, why don't you do this? What, what kind of sin is in your life? But I, 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 in my mind, I kind of put myself in, in his shoes. Like, he has to move back to Saudi Arabia. Like, he, he has to go back to a family where none of them, to a city where virtually none of them so what, what, what the Lord is asking of him is immense. You do know that I won't believe, right? And I said to him, I, I think that might be true. But I, I'm gonna continue to witness. I'm gonna continue to, to explain to you. I'm gonna continue to pray for you. I'm gonna continue to, to challenge you to believe this absolutely amazing story about God's love for us and what he did in Jesus and I am going to continue to do this as long as I have breath and as long as we have a relationship. This is what I'm going to do. And then I said to him, you do know that the Bible says that you, um, the Bible says actually why you might not believe. He's like, what? It says that in there about me? I'm like, yeah, it does. The Bible describes people, right? Showed him. The Bible describes people who are, who are bent on their own way. Who not for intellectual or emotional reasons, but almost more of a cultural reason. Just kind of dig their heels in. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up everything I've known to be true for something new. What I love about those three stories in my life, even though they have had, and time is not done, different situations and they've solicited even in my own thinking and in my own prayer life a number of different ideas and thoughts it really kind of lands like where the scripture lands it it, it describes life in the bible which I know this might be strange for you but I, I think what the bible actually teaches quite strongly is that believing is difficult believing is difficult it's not super easy the Bible doesn't describe like believing in God and being faithful to God and following God as this easy thing. In, in, instead, there are some pretty powerful and revealing conversations about how difficult it can actually be. I know we look and go, how do you listen to a talking snake? I know that you and I spend a moment and just go, how, Pharaoh? after seeing all of those things, I don't understand why is it that you don't just admit it? I don't get it. I mean, if I were to see those miracles, there's, there's no way I would still... No, but the Bible describes whether you're Pharaoh or even the children of Israel who watched all that happened, who knew what it was like to taste and eat that the Lord is good literally with manna and quail. And yet, for them, believing is just so hard. And, and a lot of you right now know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, you've got obstacles. I, I, honestly, it's not, it's not, it is kind of funny, but it's not funny, ha-ha. It's funny, isn't that interesting? Well, what about the dinosaurs? There's something, how many of you have wondered about the dinosaurs? How many of you have looked for the dinosaurs? Yeah, literally, I come from a part in Alberta where there's lots of dinosaur bones. I, I get it. Every time I go to this museum, I'm always thinking, oh, it would be so much more helpful if there was just, you know, 
Genesis chapter 6b, and then the dinosaurs also drowned. You know, like that would have been helpful. Although I, I got to sneak this in. This was not in the first. See, coming second service, there's more of you. So I got, you know, I'm going to add this little piece. It was interesting. I was at that museum one time and I'm, I'm listening to this guide who's not a believer. Again, not a believer. And we're describing some things. And here's what he literally said to me. Yeah, we found all of these bones and all of these dinosaur bones kind of up, up on this high level of this mountain. And the part that's absolutely amazing is that it was just really, really weird that we found this many bones on kind of near the, near kind of high up a mountain. And it looks like it happened during some kind of like flood type thing. But as far as we know, we don't have any record of a flood. And I'm just literally going, are you kidding me? (laughs) Literally, he just kept going. And I just, I remember just kind of leaning up. I know of a story if any of you guys want to hear about it. I mean, I don't know. I know you're Canadian, but can I tell you a story about I mean, I'm not kidding. Like, it was crazy. So that, that's where the dinosaur... Anyway, whole... Reel it in. Reel it in. So we have these questions in the Bible and why Pharaoh doubled down is not because he didn't believe those miracles were true. I'm still not giving up what's mine. I'm not giving it up. You're not taking my kingdom from me. And, and that's why believing is not like a... It's not just a, I got to think this through. And by the way, it's so much more than I really got to feel it. It's a whole body experience. And believing is, by its nature, incredibly difficult. I think one of the problems that we have, right? That's why it's interesting. Um, Looking at rich people, Jesus says, yeah, they're going to really struggle with this. And it's actually, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible, but yeah, it's going to be really, really hard for rich people. He says to somebody else who's really, really super intelligent, unless you become like a child. It's interesting, both of those things with the wealthy and the, um, with the grown up, it's because I don't know how you ever have faith or grow in your faith without a profound sense of Humility. It's literally admitting I'm not, I'm not God, and uh, it's not my kingdom, and that's hard. I think that's why believing is hard. I also think believing can be very, very hard because sometimes when, when preachers talk about it or maybe when your mom and dad talked about it, it was like an on and off switch. Like you don't have it, and then you have it, which by the way, I think is in part true. I think there is unbelieving and believing The problem is, is that to go from unbelieving to believing itself is a wonderful gift of God. But it's not on, off. It's off. And then I think it's on. And then it's on more. And it gets brighter and brighter and brighter. And so I don't know where you are this morning. It's the joy of preaching on Easter. Is I don't know if you're sitting there and you've got intellectual objections. I don't know if you've got some kind of emotional difficulties that are keeping you back. I don't know if you are so firmly entrenched in your family traditions or your cultural traditions that you just cannot imagine going there, not just in your mind, but with all of you. And so you just you kind of stand there frozen. And maybe attend an Easter service, but that's probably about it for me.
we're glad that you're here. And we want to share with you the good news about Jesus. As, as Jeff said, that we are, we are remembering on this Memorial Day, of all the great Memorial Days, that he's no longer dead. And that Jesus Christ has in fact been raised from the dead and that changes everything. But believing is still difficult. I, I think one of the most interesting things about scripture is that I, I believe if it was like man-made, if it was just written by someone like you or I, we would write it differently in this sense is that I think that to go from off to on would be easier and I think it would be more clear. But what I find to be so compelling is that as I read the res resurrection accounts, particularly we're gonna be staying in John. I wanted to kind of do a Matthew, Mark, Luke, John thing. But I'm gonna stay in John today. But the other ones, even though they're, they're, they tell a little bit of a different part of the story, they don't focus on Mary and, and, and Peter and John as much as John does. But they do have this in common that even after the resurrection, believing is still difficult. Like I would say, yeah, like listen, I get it. I didn't understand it when Jesus was just doing all these amazing things. It was still out there. I couldn't understand like how there would be a resurrection. And it's a different kind of resurrection than a Lazarus resurrection because he's gonna die again. This is actually the last resurrection, the one that comes at the end of time, but it's happening in time. And nobody understood that. Nobody expected that, but that's what God did in Jesus. And in time, the end is here. And there's still more, but the end is now here. That's what happened here. And they didn't go, oh, now I get it. They went like this. Oh, I, I don't understand. John loves this kind of language. The only way you talk like this about yourselves and those around you and remember, this is written down during a time when these are now the leaders of the church. Wouldn't you be tempted to make it look like you got it? Especially after the resurrection? Listen to this language. We're gonna go through the text. Look at verse two. This is Mary. She goes to the tomb because she wants to help out. It's her obligation. Verse two, this is what she says. They've taken, she comes, she runs back to the disciples. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. Here's all she knows, the tomb's empty. She doesn't go, oh, he said he'd be resurrected. She loves to say, one of her favorite phrases in this whole account, these 18 verses is, I don't know, we don't know, we don't get it, we don't understand. Literally what she's saying is, all I know is the tomb is empty. If you read the text, she didn't even go fully in. She just saw the stone was moved and so she ran away. He's gone. I'm just confused. Look at verses eight and nine. So then the disciples run, Peter and John, and John outruns Peter. And they get there. The other disciple, that would be John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, saw, and believed. Okay, there it is. There's belief. No, no. Keep reading. For they did not yet understand. <laughs> you gotta be careful with the word like belief in the Bible. Because belief in the Bible is always contextually. What, what, did, what did he believe? I, I used to do this every time I would hear about somebody in the Bible who believed. I, I wrongly actually assumed that what they actually believed was everything. 
like they had it all figured out. Like a man that brings his son to Jesus. Can you make him better? Do you believe? Well, I kind of believe, but I got a lot of unbelief. Will you help me in my unbelief? All he really believes about Jesus, I believe you can make my son better. The woman that ran up to Jesus, I just want to touch him. What did she believe? Jesus turns. Who touched me? What are you saying? There's a crowd all around you. No, no, no. Somebody touched me with faith. And he begins to talk to her. And he says this, your faith has, and it's a very interesting term. I love this term. Your faith has, it could be translated, rescued you. Your faith has um, uh, healed you. It could also be translated, saved you. Your faith, your belief, has healed you and rescued you and saved you. What did she believe? Be careful believing. The woman believed that Jesus was born of a virgin in Bethlehem, just like the Old Testament promised. Um, and she believed that uh, Jesus would die in, in, his, in, in, in her place for her sins and be raised on the third day. She went up to Jesus, and as far as we can tell, all she really believed was, if I touch him, there is at least something about him that will make me be whole again. And that's happening all through the scriptures. People are encountering Jesus, just like you today. People are encountering Jesus with what they know, with what they've heard. That's true of Kevin. That's true of my friend Taysir from Saudi Arabia. That's true of my other friend struggling with it. He's dealing with life and with all that he knows about God, but that's not everything, and he's trying to put all the pieces together. And, and literally, I think what, what the woman says to Jesus is, I think you can make me better. I kind of played in my mind's eye, and, and, and Jesus doesn't say this, but I know he knows this. He could, like, stoop down to the woman and say, woman, you have no idea how many different ways I could rescue you. Like you have no idea how many different ways I could heal you. Like you have no, no ability to understand and not because he's like upset with her. He just realizes that the conversation is new and the journey is long. Woman, you have no idea that I'm actually here to save you, not from what you're going through right now. Can, can, can you hear this this morning? What you think is the most important thing? God, can you just rescue me from that, the young man in my office? Here's what I want God to do. Young man, God, God can do so much more than just that. I really think, looking at the text, what they believed is that Mary wasn't crazy. He's gone. But they still did not understand that the scriptures say he had to be raised from the dead. They know something is happening, but they don't know what is happening. And maybe that describes what's going on right now in you. I don't know exactly what is happening, but something is happening. I'm still trying to make sense of this. I have a, a number of different objections, but the reality of Jesus and the hope that I could find in him. And interestingly enough, 
You can even sit in a church service on Easter Sunday and be wrestling with belief and wonder and confusion and frustration. And God patiently and faithfully makes himself known to you. Notice how the emotional response continues in verse 11. But Mary, after Peter and John are still trying to figure things out, believing part of the story but not understanding what it means, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Then all of a sudden she encounters Jesus in verse 13. Isn't this interesting? She encounters Jesus. One of the most, one of the most puzzling things to me um, about about the uh, resurrection accounts. And, and if you have time, and I promise you, you have time this afternoon, read in the end of Luke's gospel the encounter that Jesus has with the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Jesus walks with them and talks. He has this really lengthy conversation, and it seems like miraculously he hides his identity from them. So in the end, they're having this ongoing conversation, but they don't have the ability with their eyes. He hasn't quite resurrected the blind. And so they're having this conversation, but they can't, and Jesus is pointing them to the scriptures. He's pointing them to the scriptures. He's pointing them to the scriptures. This is who I am. This is who I am. Don't look here. Look here, which, by the way, is one of the reasons why we deal with this so faithfully here at least do the best of our ability under the guidance and the direction of the Holy Spirit because this is where we go. This is where we turn. This is where Jesus directs. Do you see me? Do you get it? Here is, is, is Mary talking with Jesus and she says to her Lord, they have taken away my Lord. She said to him, and I don't know where they've put him. Again, He's gone, I believe that, but I have no idea where he is. To Mary, he's still dead. She turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus, verse 14. And then I love this. Supposing he was the gardener, right? Supposing he was the gardener, she replies, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will take him away um, she was so unable to see him. And, I, and I, honestly, I don't know exactly why. It's not even the point of the text. It's that, that there she is struggling to make sense of what is happening in front of her and the dots aren't connecting. Hear me, I've been there. It's different, but I think in many ways it's the same trying to make sense of the greatness of God, of the goodness of God and the difficulty of life and the dinosaurs, you know? Trying to put all these things together and you just, you want it to just like, and this book and I think our lives don't describe it like that. Believing is difficult even when you're standing in front of Jesus, I'm still really struggling to make sense of all of this. It's interesting in their conversation, up to this point, Jesus says, woman, it doesn't click. What I love about Easter is at least the possibility 
that there will be a joy of recognition. It has been our prayer for you uh, that those of you that are genuinely wrestling with faith and don't fully even understand why you're here this morning. And this probably isn't your first time here. To go from off to on, even though it's dim, that you might believe. You'll still have questions. You're still going to have to have conversations and work through some things, but I I think I believe. That's a lot of times when, when I when I have conversations with people, it's not, I believe. It's a lot of this. Yeah, I think I believe. Like it's, I think it's real and I think it's genuine, but it's almost like they're still asking a question. Yeah, join the club. You stand alongside a bunch of amazing followers of Jesus in Scripture trying to make sense. We call it the nonsensical, but it's just God's plan. And, and I think there is something, again, I, I don't know exactly how this joy of recognition works, but I, I think the, the phrase, woman, and, and they have this conversation, and then Jesus says to her, look at this in verse 16, and then Jesus said to her, Mary. Now that's really, like in our day, that's a big deal, because we really love ourselves, and we really love our names. Right? We do. And maybe it was back then. Maybe it's a human thing. The next part of the verse says, turning around. It's almost like they're having this conversation and who needs to talk to a gardener? Mary. For some reason, she's still there, which, by the way, is good. As you wonder and as you try to figure things out, sometimes it's good to stay close to Jesus. Like, I get it. I mean, maybe in the past you really thought that it was on, but now because of university or because of something really traumatic that has happened to you, it feels like it's off. I would stay close to Jesus. Even though you have a hard time seeing him or understanding him, I'd stay close. I do know this. He stays close to you. I do know that. Mary, and she turns around, Rabboni, teacher. It's this joy of recognition. By the way, she still does not fully understand what is happening. I just know that you're not dead. You look as alive as you've ever been. By the way, he's more alive than he has ever been. Do you know that? You think she knows that then? Nope. She grabs him. And Jesus doesn't say, well, now we're at the end and you understand all things. Go and explain it to everybody else. What does he say to her? Yeah, there's so much more. Like, don't cling to me. Like, I need to ascend to the Father. Like, we're, we're not at the end. I'm really excited about all the baptisms we've been having over the last year or so, aren't you? And, and, and the journey has just begun. Jesus calls your name and you spin around. Lord, 
Savior, King. But now you have the rest of your life to unpack what that means. Lord, Savior, King. That is the absolute joy of recognition when Jesus calls your name. The other night, I was reminded of this because I hope you can hear it. I hope you have the ability to hear him call your name or I hope you have the ability to hear truth when it's presented to you. I don't just assume that that is the case for all of us. Um, I don't know the last time you've seen The Passion. I, I watched it on Friday night. Um, this is not in scripture, by the way, so please know. Like, I'm, don't go, was that in Matthew or Mark? No, this is kind of like The Chosen or they add a lot of stuff, okay? Which, by the way, is not bad because these truths that are spoken here. They're just not found in scripture, but I, I think this is a lot of fun. This is a conversation in the, in the passion, not chosen, but the passion, between Pilate and Claudia, his wife. Pilate has already had the conversation with Jesus, and he's kind of reeling from this. This man seems to be acting totally different than anybody would ever act after what they're going through, and he still is sitting here not trying to be freed. And what is truth? Remember that statement that Pilate gives? That is in scripture. What is truth? He's, he says that, by the way, because he doesn't have the ability to see it. He says that to the one who says, I am truth. Pilate says to the one who claims to be truth, what is truth? The irony? Pilate, what is truth, Claudia? Do you hear it? Recognize it when it is spoken? Yes, I do. Don't you? Pilate, How? Can you tell me? And then she says, if you will not hear the truth, no one can tell you. That's good, isn't it? So that's why we pray. That's, listen, we witness and we share, but that is why we pray. That the Lord might do a work. In those that we are sharing the amazing news, God has raised Jesus Christ from the dead and that is how I know my sins are forgiven. Not because I feel it, but because the tomb is empty. Not because somehow it resonates inside of me. Not because I'm now being able to get over all the terrible things that I have done, but I know that God has accepted the sacrifice of his perfect son in my place for my sins. The tomb is empty, Jesus Christ is alive and I am forgiven. And I know that sounds crazy to believe. I'm still trying to figure it out myself. Still trying to figure out the dinosaurs. Still trying to figure out some pretty strong pain in my life. And I'm trying to get over a culture that thinks I'm crazy if I believe this. I'm telling you right now, though, the light's on. And it's getting brighter. If you will not hear truth, no one can tell you. We're not going to give up. Here's what the resurrection promises, is that it promises the truth. The truth of God's plan of hope for all humanity. And all of that, I believe, is made believable. The resurrection is yet one more. And hear me, it is monumental in terms of what it proves and what it verifies. But it does not, it still requires faith. 
For that is the only way in which we can please God. And I pray this morning that it, that it resides in you. I pray to God that it resides in you. I beg that it resides in you. Hear me, what is keeping you today from accepting this incredible gift which is made true and believable? I would argue so strongly in the fact that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead and you can have peace with God. I pray that's where you're at today. That we can begin the conversation, but we say this, let us continue the faith conversation. That conversation goes on and on and on and on. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna close by just giving you four words. You might wanna write these down, but the good news is I'm gonna repeat them, so it'll be pretty easy. It appears that this is how the Bible describes how life goes, and I see this in the resurrection accounts. It begins with belief. Tomb's empty. And then wonder, I don't understand this. I gotta figure this out. And so we explore. And all of a sudden we discover something and there is this joy, absolute joy of recognition. And I believe. But I wonder. And as I wonder, I continue to explore. And as I explore this growing understanding, this growing belief, this more on, this brighter faith that I have, I discover new things about God and I discover new ways in which it means he has saved me, he has forgiven me, he has rescued me, he has given me a purpose and so I believe. And it's different than the first time I believed. And by the way, that then causes me to wonder in which I explore in which God is faithful and I discover, in which case I believe. And it just keeps going, doesn't it? That is what it means to follow Jesus. That demonstrates the goodness of God. That demonstrates the faithfulness of God. That demonstrates the plan of God. From garden to garden, to at the very end, new garden. And so we respond. We do this in a couple of ways. I'm gonna ask our servers to go back. How many of you guys remember life before COVID? I know it's hazy, but do you remember it? Well, if you were at Sunnybrook, you would know this. We used to celebrate communion together. Gathering as families, as couples, as life groups, as friends, as Sunday school classes all around the room. And our servers are now going to come and they're going to place the trays. I know when you walked in, where's the communion? Okay, next week it'll probably be back where it was. But this week we're going to get up and do it differently. We are going to respond over the next three songs by coming together throughout the room to say that we believe and we're here to explore and discover what God has so that we might believe. And I pray that we do so joyfully. And by the way, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, then we just ask you at this time to reflect upon God's goodness and how great he is. But for those who already know, I pray that you will come and taste that the Lord is good. Let us worship.